Hi, this is Richard Swartz with the Information Security and Media Group, publishers of BankInfoSecurity.com and CUInfoSecurity.com. Today we will be speaking with Ken Baylor, an information security and privacy consultant to Fortune 500 companies. He was recently the Chief Information Security and Privacy Officer of Symantec, and before that spent five years working for McAfee. Well, good afternoon, Ken. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Richard. How are you? Very good. Well, I'd like to start talking about how organizations can set up compliance and monitoring programs. So what would be the first step a company should take in setting up a program to monitor their compliance with privacy policies? Well, the really important first step is actually to get good policies in the first place. And to do that, you really have to understand the business and all the business units, their concerns, uh, and you also then have to look at the legal frameworks and regulatory obligations of the business itself. Now, you then have to go off and get the buy-in from all of the business units. And to do that, if you're creating the policies, you really have to understand the concerns. And to get the good policies created, you must put together a steering committee and get attendance from all of the major departments, and especially those that affect revenue. Because in the end of the day, if it comes down to revenue versus one of your rules, guess who's going to win? And uh, whatever policies you come up with should be run by an attorney to make sure there's no glaring errors or omissions in them. Now, that's the first step. And the next step, you have to find meaningful ways to audit compliance with these policies. So you're going to start looking at things like awareness training, vulnerability assessment, and other automated methods of measuring violations. Is there other due diligence that a company should perform in setting up a program like this? Absolutely. Companies really should understand the flow of data within the company. They should know where the data enters and where it leaves and they should classify the data according to sensitivity. Now, the sensitivity of the data should really be the primary criterion as to where to spend resources. Data which contains personally identifiable information often has non-negotiable standards which should be enforced without exception. And there we're looking at information such as PCI or, if you, or making sure you've got a protection mechanism for trade secrets. Well, in addition to searching for these data flows outside of a company, what other data flows do banks need to be paying attention to? Well, there are many studies showing that over 50% of attacks emanate from threats within your firewall, i.e. your employees. Now, with privacy breaches, and by that I mean breaches of privacy policy, that number is most likely in excess of 90%. For example, we often see developers uh, running with live customer personal identifiable information in test or staging environments. Now, these test environments I've seen are quite open to the Internet in many cases, and uh, developers are not exactly known for patching or hardening their servers. And because of this very scenario, many external attackers often target development servers once they penetrate inside the perimeter of the network, or indeed they use development or test servers as a method to penetrate in the firewall and compromise the whole enterprise. Now, for banks, they really need to know where their sense of data is and they need to look at the data life cycle. That's from creation to destruction. They must especially be wary of support staff who will copy maybe excessive chunks of data on some reasonable pretext but fail to protect it, and then they lose the data. So whether it's an overstolen laptop or a lost USB key ring, the damage itself can be devastating. We're talking a lot about privacy. I'd like to return to the issue of international issues. What are some of the essential differences between EU privacy laws and those in the U.S., and what impact do these have on the management of a privacy program for a U.S. company? 
Well, EU laws make a fundamental assumption that a worker has a right to privacy, and all encroachments on the right to privacy are vigorously defended in Europe. However, in the US, the assumption is made that a worker has little, if any, right to privacy, and the scope and levels of monitoring are much broader. So many companies do not even have written expectation policies of this area. And if they do have a policy saying what they're monitoring, they do it in very vague language. In some cases, if the employees find out how much monitoring is actually going on, it can destroy morale. And uh, some things we have seen is that in order to avoid actual court cases coming in or saying where people got their evidence from, um, many companies will try and get their ex-employees to sign waivers or if they are threatened with a lawsuit, they will settle rather quickly. And a lot of this could be fixed by having a good policy clearly stated with a good escalation path and a documented procedure on what happens uh, and how investigations are carried out. How much information would an executive need to be able to effectively manage risk related to privacy and compliance programs? Well, it's a tough area to master primarily for historical reasons. Now, quite often you find attorneys running privacy, but then they, they can't effectively enforce it as they lack a knowledge of IT, and they end up with large gaps in from policy to actual effectiveness or execution on the ground. Alternatively, it can also happen that you add privacy onto an information security task list, and it often results in badly thought out policies and these InfoSec chief information security officers ramming this badly thought out policy, which never achieved buy-in, down the whole organization's throat. Now, would you go the IT person who knows very little about law, or you go the attorney who knows very little about IT? Both scenarios are pretty much deemed to failure. So what executives need to do is either put together a steering committee and foster a strong bond between the InfoSec person and the legal person, or alternatively, they need to seek a candidate to run privacy who understands both the law and the intricacies of information security. That might be a tall order in today's market, but I understand your point. Let's switch to talk about what executives need to do. What are some of the best practices for an organization in terms of real-time monitoring to ensure information security and privacy? Well, you really need a two-pronged approach. You need to look at, as regards devices, you need to look at what you own and can manage, and you should put a compliance monitoring tool on them. Then these can report into a security information manager, which receives an alert in real time. It parses it, evaluates it, and then it can send the alert either to a dashboard or to a dashboard and a personnel alert mechanism, such as an SMS text if you need an emergency response. So in that way, you can see what's going on globally in your environment for the things that you own. However, there's a lot of infrastructure out there that for various reasons you cannot manage with an agent. Now, these would include switches, printers, Unix machines, and unfortunately, hackers' machines. And you need a really good networking, scanning, and vulnerability tool, which will tell you how vulnerable your devices are. So this device would be used for telling you what's on your network, whether you own it and can control it with an agent or not. And um, they, these tools can also let you know when a new node pops up on your network and where physically it is. So which, where the cable is connected into, you should be able to lock it down to the cube level. And these rogue devices could be hacking machines or else they could be vectors which would be used by hackers, such as a rogue wireless access device, which somebody in a smaller department may have just put in 
without any security and uh, is effectively a backdoor into your network. Well, aside from rogue devices like you're talking about, we know there's a lot of privacy violations and privacy in- incidents occurring in industry. In reviewing these privacy incidents, it often is noted that an organization will have a good privacy policy in place, but these incidents are still occurring. What's not working in the system or what skills are CS- CISOs lacking that are allowing these incidents to keep occurring? You've hit on a nerve there, and what's actually happening is the leadership in the InfoSec and privacy areas, they're very much in transition. So in the past, there have been many chief information security officers who've created these unpalatable practices and then forced them on the rest of the company. Now, few of these have been successful, and this has been noted. But however, they do believe they are successful because they have drafted and they've posted a basic policy. But when you get into it, they're not successful because their policies are flaunted and ignored even by the business unit leaders, and then their employees, who will always emanate whatever their bosses do, will also ignore those policies. Now, these privacy policies are, you could describe them as a statement of intention, which is pretty useless. You could describe them as a wish list, or even worse, and this is what will, if there is a large event or breach could happen, will be described as by the other party. You could describe them as a misleading set of false promises sent to the business partner to induce them into a business deal. Um, now, if you want to be truly successful, which is where the market is going to, then you need to get buy-in at the very start from the key decision makers. You need sensible policies to satisfy both the business and the regulatory environment. You need the technical ability to work with IT to create, enforce, and measure these controls. It requires the business savvy to build a good quality graphical user interface or dashboard to see the risk profile of your whole enterprise in real time requires leadership, vision, and execution. And that's what we're starting to see emerge in the market now. That's great insight. Well, thank you for your information today, Ken. I'm sure it's going to be very helpful for our listeners. Thank you very much, Richard. Thank you for listening to another podcast with the Information Security and Media Group. To listen to a selection of other podcasts or to find other educational content regarding information security for the banking and finance community, you can visit www.bankinfosecurity.com or www.cuinfosecurity.com.